So let's now turn to the Word of God. And if you have your Bibles with you again, last week we explored Ephesians 2, so I thought why not continue in Ephesians. So today, Ephesians chapter 3, from verse 14 through to 21. Very well-known passage, but there's so much here that we can talk about it. So let's read together Ephesians 3, from verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power of work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray quickly. Gracious Heavenly Father, Thank you for the gift of your word, Lord. Thank you because you speak to us through your word, Lord. And as we, we spend a few minutes reflecting on your word, Lord, we pray for our hearts and our minds to remain focused in you and you alone. And we pray these things in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. So church, what we have in front of us here is, is a prayer. For the Ephesian church, right? And if you look at how verse 14 starts, it starts, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. So Paul is, is on his knees in prayer. And if you're familiar with the book of Ephesians, this is now the second prayer for the Ephesian church. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul prays that the Ephesian church may know and understand all the blessings of being a Christian, such as the hope, the riches, and the power of being a Christian. So there's full description there in chapter 1. But then we go to chapter 3, and he prays that we will apply this, or they will apply this in their lives, and consequently us. They will apply this in their lives and actions. So chapter 1, the prayer is for knowledge, and chapter 3 is for application. And it's like buying uh, a new smart TV, for example. So the internet or the salesperson will describe all its features, right? And that's what we have in Ephesians 1 kind of thing. But then you need to know how to use this TV and how to turn it on and how to change channels, how to put on Netflix, that kind of thing. And that's what we have in Ephesians 3 here is the more application part of Paul's message. And if you notice in the text we just read, there is a progression, a very clear progression in Paul's prayer. And it starts with inner strength, and then it moves to an indwelling Christ, progresses to an outstanding love, an overflowing, overflowing love in the fullness of God, and then it all ends in the glory of God. That's the climax. It finishes in the glory of God. So we're going to walk through, through all the steps very quickly so we can see this wonderful progression of Paul's prayer. 
So first, Paul's, Paul prays for inner, inner strength. So look again at verse 16 of our Bible reading. So he says, I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So what is Paul praying for here? He's praying for a strong inner being, which is an odd thing to pray, I would say. Why do we need a strong inner being? That's our first question. And if you go back just a few verses, verse 13, Paul talks about suffering there, right? And Paul's, Paul has first-hand knowledge of sufferings, doesn't he? And in his second letter to the Corinthians, he gives a huge list of all his sufferings. And I'm going to just mention a few of them here. He was exposed to like flogging and beatings, exposed to death several times. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. He spent a day and a night on the open sea. I don't think none of us will do this. He was in danger from Jews to Gentiles and false Christians. And he was in danger in the city and country and sea. He often went places without sleep. And he was hungry and thirsty. And he inwardly, he burned with sin. I don't know if you remember, but he, he was like, the good, I want to do it, I don't do it. But the things I don't want to do, I do it. So he had this thing inside him burning. There was sin. Sin burned inside him. So Paul needed a strong inner man to deal with all of this, all of this rubbish he was facing. He needed a strong inner man, strong inner being. And you know, little kids, they, they have it so good. They have life free of worry and anxiety, which is the way it should be, by the way. But as we get older, we accumulate pain and trouble and affliction and confusion and disappointment. And I have noticed that the longer one lives, the more painful life can become. And life is full of pressures. We all know that firsthand. Uh, full of pressures and problems and trials and heartaches, tragedy, accidents, death. And all of this, church, all of this can destroy us, can devastate us. All of this can rob us of peace and joy. All of this can cripple our service to the Lord and the witness to the Lord. And in all of this, a weak inner being leads to frustration and mental strain and worry and stress and sleeplessness and so on. So Paul is praying for inner strength as we deal with all these problems of life. And you know one verse I, I love to keep in mind as I think about those things. It's 2 Corinthians 4, 16. So listen to those words. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Do you hear what Paul is saying here? The outside is getting worse. As you can see, it's not much hair. 
anymore. But the inside is getting better. And we live in a culture, especially Western culture, that is concerned about the outward look only. All it matters is the outside. And I'm afraid that even Christians get stuck in this trap and pay attention, too, too, way too much attention on the outward looking in the outward man. And the world does this because this is all they're able to see. Simple like that. If you walk into any clothes shops, for example, there's, there's a men's section, there's a women's section, there's a children, there's coats and jackets, shoes, belts, whatever. But there's no inner being department. I've never seen one of those. The inner being department. It's all outer. And our culture is absolutely consumed by this. We all know. And similarly, adverts or the internet tells us that we can look young again with six packs and facelifts and all the enhancements that you could get. The focus is always the outside. And I'm not saying here that it's, it's wrong to look good, by the way. That's not what I'm saying. But it's wrong to make that your only primary focus. Because you are working on something that is outer and decaying, right? So make the inner being, your inner being, your primary, your primary focus instead. That's what Paul is saying here. If you go back to his prayer, verse 16, I pray that according to the rich, riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And you know, we all, we all need to reach the point where we rely on the power and strength of the Lord. We all need to reach the point where we realize our spiritual resources are not enough. We all need to reach the point where we realize God's power is made perfect in weakness. That's a promise from God's word. So in contrast with this perish man, for the Christian, for us, there is an increasing strength available to the inner being, to the inner man. The power is available, church. It's available it's for free. All we need to do is tap into it. All we need to do is plug ourselves in. It's a simple matter of feeding on the riches of God's word. Feeding on the riches of God's word. That's what the spirit uses to strengthen our inner man, our inner being. The outer man is wasting away. But the inner man is being renewed in strength and power. So can we make this our testimony, church? A strong inner being. That, that is Paul's prayer for that church. And that is my prayer for you and for me this morning. A strong and renewed inner being. But that brings us to our second point which is Christ dwelling in your heart. Christ dwelling in your heart. And we're going to explore this point a little bit more. Look at how verse 17 starts. 
so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So notice the words, so that. So that here refers to, to the first step, right? It refers to being strengthened with power through his spirit and word in your inner being. So in other words, if you have a strong inner being, then Christ dwells in your heart by faith. It's a beautiful progression. But just to clarify here, Paul is not talking about salvation itself when he's talking about Christ dwelling in you. Paul is not talking about the union with Christ we need in order to have the, the blessings of grace, okay? It's not a question whether Christ is in your life or not. See, the original word, the Greek word for dwell, means to live in a house. To live in a house. And it's wonderful to think about this. To settle down and to be a home. And we were talking to the teenagers yesterday that Paul and I have lived in nearly 10 different houses since we moved to Scotland. For different reasons. And moving is so stressful. Especially if you have kids or you live upstairs, or if you have a piano, which is my case in all of those. So we moved so many times for several reasons, and during those stressful times, telling you, really stressful times, that we had to move house, all what we needed, and what we were looking for, was just a place where we would feel comfortable, and feel safe, and feel at home. And I think this is what Paul has in mind here when he's talking about dwelling of Christ. So think of your heart as a home, okay? With different rooms. What does Christ find there, my friends? Let's pretend your heart has an office to start with computers and lists and books, whatever you have in your office. Is it filled with dust? in rubbish, in idolatry, or materialism? Or is the office of your heart filled with stuff that pleases the Lord? And then there's the kitchen or the dining area of your heart, the place where desires and wants are satisfied. And he wants to know what you long for. He wants to know what you long for, my friend. He checks the menu to see what satisfies you. Will he be pleased with what he sees in the kitchen, dining room of your heart? Then he goes to the TV room, and oh dear, we're not going to talk about this, the TV room of your heart. What about the workshop or the garage of your heart? Why you have parked there? What tools have you been using for his kingdom and his glory? What have you been making or repairing or helping someone maybe? We all have, have attics where we hide things, right? What is hidden in the attic of your heart? Probably the most important question is, is Christ at home? In your heart. Is Christ at home in you? Is he comfortable living 
in your heart? Do you have a place where he belongs and fits? Are you welcome? Are you welcome into him, into the things of the Lord? Do you seek first the kingdom and its righteousness? Those are all very, very important questions, church. And this is what happens when we yield ourselves to the Spirit. This is what happens when the outer man wastes away, but the inner man is renewed in strength and power. When this happens, Christ has a home, a place in your life where he fits, where he belongs, where he is at home. And this is Paul's prayer. And this is also my prayer for all of us. That you have a heart where Christ dwells, where Christ is comfortable, where he is at home. And that leads us to the next point of Paul's prayer. And those are found in verse 17 to 19. So what happens next? What happens when Christ settles down and is at home in your life? So let's listen to the next part of Paul's prayer from 17. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And here is another purpose statement. Here is another reason why Paul is on his knees. And again, do you see the progression? When you, you are strengthened with the Spirit and indwelt by Christ, the result is love. Paul says, rooted and grounded in love. It's not something minor. As he means love is really important. Rooted and grounded in love. It's not something you can take or leave. It's not optional. It's essential. So when Christ and his spirit dominates your life, and I mean dominates your life, the result is love. The result will be love. And you will love the way he loved. The very love of God, my friends. Sacrificial love. The love which sent Christ to the cross and the grave. The love that sacrificed for you and for my sake. And this love will flow in and through you. And we are talking about love towards your neighbor, but even your enemies. By this love, says the Gospel of John, all men will know that you are my disciples. And this love also means that you love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. So when Jesus is at home in your life, when Jesus is at home in your life, he will fill all your life with love. You will be rooted and grounded in love and filled with love and overflowing with love. 
It will be a deep love. It will be a love that overcomes all offenses in hearts that come your way. And Paul says that not only will you experience the love of Jesus in your heart, but you will also comprehend, understand this love. You will understand how immense his love is for us. Let's think for a moment. As the eternal Son of God, Christ in heaven, he had glory and majesty from eternity to eternity. He was truly God. The Bible says that by him were made the heavens and the earth and everything in them. His almighty arm held up the moon and the stars. He reigned supreme, my friends. He reigned supreme over all creatures. He was God over all. Blessed and exalted forever. But as we read in Philippians 2 to start our service, when Christ took our flesh, he emptied himself of all this pomp and glory. Instead, he took on our sin and our shame, our misery, our grief. He made himself nothing. Absolutely nothing. He took on the nature of a servant. He humbled himself. He emptied himself out of love. Out of love for you and for me. So think of what happened at the cross. I don't think we often reflect on what happened on the cross. We just normally explore this on Easter. But we, most of the times we overlook what happened on the cross. He who was king of the universe, king of the universe, became obedient to the point of death. He who was the son of God became the man of sorrows. He suffered, he bled, he died. He was forsaken by the father. And again, he suffered all of this out of love. Out of love for us. How wonderful is this. And Paul prays that the Ephesian church may know and comprehend and experience this love. And we pray that we may as well experience this amazing love in our lives. What a wonderful love. What a savior we have. And this leads to the fourth point that we find at the end of verse 19. It says that, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. How wonderful is this? Try not to cry here because every time I read this passage, I'm normally in tears, but I'm trying to hold myself here. But that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And here's another purpose statement why he's praying. That you may be filled. That you may be filled. And I remember my, my high school, it's been a while, and I don't have many members of my high school, but I remember this very clearly. My science teacher, 
he put a, a lit candle in a pot of water, right? And then he lowered a glass of jar, uh, a glass jar over the burning candle and into the water. And I remember amazed seeing all this water being sucked into the glass. I, I don't know why it happens. I'm not very good in science, but it, it happened. All the water just rushed and filled in the glass very quickly. And with our souls, it's kind of like this. God rushes in to fill it with his presence. You know, Jesus is full of grace and truth. And he fills us with grace and truth. God is love and then we are love. God is peace and he gives us peace. God is joy so we can be joyful. God is very patient with us. And then he gives us patience to deal with others. So I become like God. I become like God when I am filled with his fullness. I'm going to say this again. I become like God when I am filled with his fullness. And Paul prays for this to happen to the church. And I think that that should be our prayer here for our church to, to be full, filled with his fullness so we can become like God. Wonderful. But Paul's grand finale, the climax, has nothing to do with us. Those are all great things that happen to us and we can experience, we can take part, we can experience God's love, we can be filled with the Spirit, but it's all about Him. It's all about God's glory. And you may think that you will never be able to improve your inner strength, for example. That Christ will never be truly a home in your heart. Or that the love of Christ will never fill you to the point of overflowing. But guess what? God does more than all we ask or think. As Paul says, he exceeds all boundaries. And why that? For the sake of his glory. For the sake of his glory. You know, church, God is glorified when we go through the steps of the Christian life, He is glorified, His name is exalted. God is glorified when we progress from inner strength to indwell in Christ, to being filled with His love, to becoming like God. With all of this, with all of this, He is glorified. And he is praised. And this is how Paul ends his prayer. With the glory of God. And this is what he says. And this is how we will finish our sermon this morning too. Listen to those wonderful words. To him be the glory in the church. And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.
So let's pray. Yes, gracious Heavenly Father, to you be the praise and the glory, Lord. Thank you for sending your Son to die for us. Thank you for the progression of Christian life that you offer us, Lord. Being strengthened inside, having Christ living in us, being filled with your goodness. But we know that it's all because of you, Lord. It's all for your glory. So thank you for who you are. A God full of majesty. A glorious God. An eternal God. A God that never changes. And we are here, Sunday by Sunday, to glorify your name, Lord. Thank you for bringing us together. Thank you for your word. And thank you for the work of His, your spirit in our lives, Lord. And we pray all these things in your holy and eternal name. Amen.